Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again on a Sunday morning, we're thankful to be here together. And Lord, we ask that you would draw our attention away from all that going on around us in this world. And for a few moments, that we would be still and understand a little bit more about who you are and the work you want to do in our lives. We ask that each part of this service would be centered upon your goodness and your greatness. And Lord, our service to you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll allow the children in the children's church and toddler's church to be dismissed. And also, if you would, take a finger or your bulletin there and slip it into 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, we're going to read two passages today, and uh, as you're preparing there for the, to read along with me as we read the text, I'd like to just set the theme for this morning, asking the question, what will be left? Uh, that is the title of this morning's message. Uh, we live in a society whose constant theme uh, all you have to do is listen. Uh, it can be summed up really in one word. The word is legacy. Uh, they're, they're so upset because the legacy of our former president, the, the most destructive bill that has ever passed through the Senate and been signed by a United States president, called Health Care or Affordable Health Care Act, is in jeopardy. That is uh, the legacy there of the former administration. Uh, it, it's amazing how much effort goes into what people do to prepare for what people will think of them. What are you going to leave behind? Uh, I think of the... Uh, I don't know. Uh, the only word that comes to mind to describe it is an abominable sediment that uh, was held by a former president in his cabinet. Why didn't 9-11 happen while Bill Clinton was president? How many of you remember that being reported in the news? People actually said this because they wanted something great that he could be known for. Just drive past one of our great cemeteries in the city. Full of monuments. I mean, Calvary Cemetery, the last time I even heard of a price, uh, a a grave at that cemetery is $12,000 for a six-foot-long and two-foot or four-foot-wide spot to be buried in. Now, you stop and think about that. Why why do people do those things? Because they, they want to be remembered. Uh, how many of you have heard the clamor, uh, you know, actually, we shouldn't even be here today. We should have all drowned because all the glaciers were going to melt when our president pulled out of the climate change accord. Of course, he can't pull out until 2020, but we're all going to die before then. And uh, this is, the, you know, one of the things you'll hear him say, we're going to leave a world that is dying. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I believe in Father God, not Mother Nature. 
And when he made this place, he made it a little better than what the climate changers think. It's amazing. They believe it all got here by chance. Uh, we had an opportunity to go to the, the zoo and uh, on Friday just took a couple hours and walked the kids around to see all the weird animals and things. And uh, one of the, uh, I don't know, I, I guess he was a volunteer or something, but he was in there talking about the animals and, and he was talking about the crocodile and it had four chambers in the crocodile's heart. The only reptile that had that, and how that the crocodile can actually slow down its heartbeat at will and lower his body temperature. I said, that's amazing, isn't it? He said, it's, it's without precedent in the, in the reptilian world. And I said, and, and you, and people believe that that all got here by chance. I said, who's really the smart ones? How, how can you believe that it just so happened? There's too much diversity. There is too much that needs to be uh, uh, a change. And yet God, we look at him, we sang those songs, How Great Thou Art. And I I could go on naming the ills of our society today. Uh, They want to be known as those that cleaned up the planet. And yet the very same people that scream of corporate greed are the people who fund Planned Parenthood. And the murder of 60 million babies in this country alone. Talk about a legacy. I really think the legacy of this generation in which we live could be summed up in one word, insanity. Because there is no agreement with what people put their lives for and give their lives for and reality. And yet, I want to challenge you, the Bible gives us a great opportunity to by-step all of the insanity of the world in which we live and to find some reality in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the question I want to ask this morning is what is going to be the legacy of your life? What will be the testimony of your life as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? As a member of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church, you, you are going to be held into account. Oftentimes, uh, well, uh, I, I shouldn't say Baptist because we're not this way, but the Protestant have so downplayed the church that it's not really important. I want you to know the church is important in this book called the Bible. It is the body of Christ, and it is a local, visible assembly of believers. And each one of us, as we go through these passages today, let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
Verse 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. That word husbandry means agricultural pursuits, a farm we might say. You are God's building. We have no problem with that. We're in one and have certainly uh, spent a tremendous amount of time over in Brooklyn talking about buildings and fixing and things like that. Verse 10 says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me, the Apostle Paul speaking here, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now we're going to spend a little time here and then move over to Second Corinthians in a few moments here to close the message. But we need to understand something. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Paul claimed the position of master builder. He was the one that laid the foundation because it was through the ministry of the Apostle Paul that he went to the city of Corinth and took the gospel there and saw the establishment of a local, independent, Bible-believing and if we were going to define it historically and doctrinally, it would, we would rightfully today use the name Baptist Church. Because that is what the church at Corinth practiced here. Most of it. Uh, the book of First and Second Corinthians, Paul was writing to correct problems and things that were going on in the church. And he was explaining this scope and sequence of what should happen in the lives of the believers. Yes, the the legacy of the church at Corinth. How that would be built and how that would be laid out. What was going to be left? He said, because the day will declare it. There is coming a day when we will stand before God. And we will be judged We'll be judged individually. We'll be judged corporately as a church. The Bible says in in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 13, that the pastor is going to have to give account of those who were members of the church and who served in the church. And and, uh, uh, oftentimes people will say, well, I'm a member of the church. And and I'll look at them and say, "Uh, no. Oh, but I attend here. Well, attending here is one thing, but being a member is something else. Uh, There's actually responsibility. Uh, That's the difference between an independent Baptist church, a Bible-based church, and a non-Bible-based church. Uh, The 
modern churches, it's, it's amazing that uh, they talk about exercising church discipline and, and they spend a lot of time in their writings, but discipline for what? Because they never preach about sin. Uh, when's the last time you heard Joe Olstein use the word sin? Uh, I, I don't know that he ever has. Uh, maybe it'll come up once in a while, but always in a positive context. Uh, there's nothing positive about sin, my friends. It's what separates us from God. It's what will send a soul to hell. You see, there is a thing of works, but it comes after salvation, not in order to obtain it. Can we say amen to that? That is a blessed, blessed thought that, that I am not here earning my salvation. Paul said, I am the master builder. I have laid the foundation. There is none other foundation. That foundation is Christ. And the foundation uh, that we build our lives upon are the words that he uttered on the cross. The actual one word in Hebrew, it is finished. The work is done. And we're supposed to build on that foundation. You see, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the center of all that we do. It really should all be about Him. And, and uh, the ancient uh, way of building was very, very simple. They did not have what we would call tape measures. And certainly all the mechanical and, and laser-powered uh, tools that we have today that help us keep things straight and level. And yet I always like to remind you that Without any of those tools whatsoever, the, the great pyramids in Egypt are still more geometrically correct than the Empire State Building in New York City. Uh, how did they do that? Well, it was very simple. They spent a lot of time setting what was called the cornerstone. And then in, uh, a cubit was basically measured from the elbow to the tip of the finger. And uh, we could call several different men up here today and measure these things, and we'd find out that we'd have a different measurement for every man here. Now, how in the world? Uh, oftentimes, even when we're building a union, uh, someone will measure, and they'll call out a measurement, and someone else will take a different tape measure and cut exactly where the measurement was called, and there'll be a difference because somebody stretched or bent or did something or maybe even an inaccuracy in the, in the tape measure, and it'll cause problems. So what they did was they took every measurement in the building from the cornerstone. And as they took every measurement from the cornerstone, guess what they got? They got a good building. It didn't matter that your cubit was 10 millimeters longer than my cubit or five inches or three inches shorter. It really did not matter in their building program because every measurement 
started at the same place. Therefore, they had unity and they could put the building together. How many of you know where I'm going with this? You see, you don't have, your, you don't have a right to come up with your own measuring system. I don't know how many people over the years would say, well, Pastor, I, I don't see it that way. And, and I want to be kind, and I'm trying to be kind. I don't care whether you see it that way or not. Because that's not your job. We're supposed to take a measurement from the same place. And, and we're supposed to be doing the same work. Amen? I heard a couple. The air conditioning's on, so if you want to say amen, you're going to have to lift up your voice just a little bit. But Ephesians chapter 2, I just have it printed here in my outline. Let me read it to you. It says, "...and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophet Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone." That's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. And I, I have no understanding today why any person looking at the Bible would wonder who the cornerstone is. Would argue that it might be Peter or some other individual. That's the definition of cult. Is when we take our measurement from some individual. We, we take our measurement from Jesus Christ. But guess what? When the apostles laid their foundation, as Paul did in writing this book the first, to the Corinthian church, his first letter there, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, guess what he was doing? He's building on that foundation. He was giving us words that we can read millennia later. And understand how we can take our measurements and how our building today can fit in with what was built by Jesus himself and the very men that he personally trained as apostles. There's a lot of confusion. A lot of people make all kinds of claims to the true church and and very simply, if there is a true church today and Jesus said that his church would uh, continue and would not be prevailed against, so therefore there must be a church of Jesus Christ in operation today, we ought to be able to check it out somewhere. And we ought to be able to find a pattern that is continued. Uh, there ought to be a fit. What would happen if they're building a multi-story building? And of course, in a, in a big project, they'll have many different contractors, sometimes even different companies, uh, building different parts of the building. And yet, there's one master plan, one set of blueprints... And if someone decides that they don't want to do it that way, what happens? How many of you have ever seen those crazy pictures of mistakes? And they have a bridge coming this way, and the other bridge comes that way. And they miss it by about a third of the width of the bridge. Now, 
Honestly, I think somebody photoshopped that. Uh, I, I, I would hope that in this world in which we live, there would not be someone so foolish as to expend all the money that it takes to build a bridge and miss the mark. How could that happen? Well, with the world of Photoshop, you can make anything happen, right? But how does that happen in lives? You see, the Bible tells us here that we're to build upon this foundation. And we'll come back and talk about the gold and the silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble in a minute. But it says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. It's going to be revealed by fire. And if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. You see, the pattern's been set. What we do today should fit with what was done in Corinth by the Apostle Paul. You know what he did? He went into the city, and what did he do? He talked to people, didn't he? And it wasn't that Paul was a great debater. In fact, read through, he said, I didn't come with man's wisdom. I didn't come with... He said, I only wanted to know one thing. I wanted to know Christ and Him crucified. That's all I wanted to know among you. Does that sound like taking your measurement from the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ? By the way, is that the message we preach at Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Amen? You see, that work that Jesus started is continuing in the church. And... The work of Jesus is done in individual lives, guess what, as they fit into the work of the church. And then the work of our local church contributes to the work that God wants to do in the world as we work alongside other local churches, our missionaries. We support 70-some, I haven't taken time to count here of late, different projects and missionaries. If we were to take every other church that supports every other, uh, each project that we support, we would find out that we're in a network of literally hundreds. It would be at least 500 different churches. That's amazing. And not one district superintendent, not, not one controlling board. I, I sit on the, the board of advisors for the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship, uh, at, uh, missionary uh, missions, GIBM, Global Independent Baptist Missions. Uh, uh, I'm the secretary there and take all the notes at the meetings and when there is a problem with one of those missionaries. You know what happens? 
People call Brother Webster. He's he's really in charge of the of the mission board there, and so they'll call him up, and he said, "Listen, he's not a member of my church. Um, I, I can't solve that problem. Here's his pastor's name and number. Now call him." You see, that's the way it's supposed to be, and. Each thing is controlled by not some board, but by individual local churches. But guess what? We get to work together. In fact, if you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to find yourself working together with other churches, whether you want to or not. And you can think you're the only one that's out there, but you're not. And 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 so... Listen, we've got to build, not as an individual, not a tribute to me, not a tribute to any one person, but as part of the set pattern that was established by Jesus Christ Himself while He was here on earth. And that pattern was continued all throughout the the Roman world as we have history printed in our Bible and throughout the entire world as we know it today as people have followed and built upon that pattern. Our, Our building materials are varied and strange, we might think. Gold and silver and precious stones. Wood. Hey, stubble. Well, these things of course, have a meaning. And this is what we talk about. We're not going to go into figurative, hidden, allegorical meanings. No, there's gold is pictured in the Bible. It, it is a representation. What was the, uh, the candlestick in the temple? It's in the stained glass windows here, uh, uh, known as a menorah. What was it made out of? Solid gold. The mercy seat, what was it made out of? Solid gold. Why? Because gold in the tabernacle, in the Bible, is a representation of the very presence of God Himself. That's why the Ark of the Covenant was wood with gold over top of it. The altar of incense was wood with gold over top of it. The table of showbread was wood with gold over top of it. Why? Because wood pictures the nature of man. Now, how do we take wood and gold? Does anybody see it already? That is an illustration of Jesus Christ, who is God and man. At the same time. But being there's a slight difference between God and man, the only thing you see is the gold. Amen? And so gold is a, is a picture, representation. The, the uh, tabernacle, when it was built, it, had, it, was, um, uh, it was a movable... Tent is what the word tabernacle actually means, and the wall boards were set in sockets of silver. There was a 75-pound piece of silver with a slot cut in it, and the 
boards that made the walls would sit in that socket and it would lock it in. And then they would put other rings and bars in place to hold it in. in but the, the entire foundation were these silver sockets, they were called. You see, silver is always a representation of judgment. Discernment, we might say. The difference between what is right and what is wrong, but far more important than the difference between right and wrong and one we pass over today is what is acceptable and what is best. That's what Paul prayed for the Philippian church, to be able to choose or approve those things which are excellent. Is that necessary in serving Christ? Should, should we just serve Christ with what we think is best or should we serve Him with what is approved by Christ as excellent? That's where the silver comes in. The precious stones, they were part of the priest's breastplate. Each one represented one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And what did... We just recently preached on the... I just recently preached on the passage... He will gather up his jewels. Talking about souls of mankind. You see, these are the building blocks that we're supposed to be using. Everything we do should be because of the presence of God in our life. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We're supposed to prove those things that are, that are excellent. And, and yes, we are after souls today. We want people to choose to leave the world and its system and surrender to the Bible and to the truths that are in it. And once you do that, no precious stone in the rough is... Very beautiful to look at. In fact, when they discovered the Hope Diamond in a coal mine in South Africa many years ago, one of the miners was walking in and he looked up in the, in the roof and, it, it, and he, he saw a reflection up there and he said, Who stuck that piece of glass up there? And it turned out to be the largest blue diamond known to mankind. Now, maybe there's a big one, bigger one hidden somewhere, but we haven't found it yet. If you go to the Smithsonian Institute of Natural History in Washington, D.C., you can see that thing. It's about that big around. And I mean, you just look at it and you're sitting there going, Wow, what's so important about that little chunk of stone? Well, you only have to take one look to know that it's different than anything else you've ever seen in your life. You see, God's in the work of taking our dull, worthless lives and making them something special for Him. That's His work. You see, while we're building, while we're trying to labor here, we're seeking the presence of God. We're seeking His discernment and judgment. We're, we're seeking other souls for Him. Guess what He's doing? He's cutting. He's polishing. He's preparing us 
to bring glory to his name while we're doing the part we're supposed to. Do you get that? We all together yet? Amen? The other building materials, wood. Somebody said, listen, how in the world could... Well, wood is beautiful. Somebody, we, we took the youth group from Southwest over to Union Thursday night after church, and they were looking at the pews and, and said, aren't, aren't these pews worth something? And I, I said, oh, maybe a dollar a foot or something like that, a couple thousand bucks. They're really not worth anything. The pews you're sitting on. When, when we were working on the building, our architect came in. He's no longer with us at this, and he looked at, he said, you have, he said, I can tell you about a Presbyterian church that tried to get pews like you have and it bankrupt them. He said, solid oak pews. He said, they're, they're a quarter of a million dollars. And I said, wow, let's try to sell that. He couldn't get a quarter of $10,000 out of these pews. So we'll keep them. Get Stephen to finish gluing them together this summer, maybe. We'll see what happens. But wood is beautiful, is it not? And you know, the most exquisitely finished wood only shows what God already put in it, doesn't it? See, that's the best that man can do. He can only show off what God has already done. And why would that be acceptable as worship to God when man is trying to show off something that only God could have created? Are we still together? Hey, everybody looks. Say, hey, well, grass is free. Now, hay is free. Hay just grows of itself. You don't plant a field of hay. Now, you can plant alfalfa and use it as hay or some other type of plant, but hay is just grass. And you cut it and you feed it to the animals. Uh, I think it's uh, in the Philippines they make rice pictures. And they'll take the stalks of the rice plant and dye them and glue them together in beautiful designs. But that's not why the rice was planted, now was it? It was planted to feed people. And you can do good things with hay. But it's just something that grows by itself. You don't get hay on purpose Well, I mean, you let the hay grow and then you mow it down, but then we get to stubble. Remember where stubble came from? They refused, Pharaoh refused to give the children of Israel hay to make the bricks and straw. And so what they had left was they went out through the land and gathered stubble to make bricks. And some archaeologists claim that they found bricks in Egypt that uh, they could see the different layers where they had the nice straw and good bricks and then the rotten bricks made out of stru- uh, stubble. They just fell apart because that straw was to hold it together. You know what stubble is? It's the leftovers. 
Boy, it hit me. How many of us serve God with leftovers? Well, I got to pay my bills and I got to do this and I got to do that and, 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 and I have this. I'll give this to God. Stubble. Leftovers. What's, what's finny, what you have when you've done what's important? That's what stubble is. The only problem is if serving God is not the most important thing in your life, You're going to be in desperate trouble when you stand before God. And so, the Bible says here that this judgment is going to be revealed by, by fire. Could you imagine as God takes your life and the works that you have done, He, he and His... Ability is able to pull them out of the big building. And he'll set it on a stand and breathe his holy fire upon it. What's going to be left? What have you built? Have you exalted or tried to exalt that which God created? It's going to turn to ashes. Because that's not acceptable to God. He wants His presence in your life. He doesn't want the beautiful things we can do with what we didn't strive to get. That, that's talent is where that comes from. I, I have met many, many people that have incredible talents. And by the way, I'll tell you what, there's no such thing as a good and well-developed talent that hasn't included an awful lot of hard work. The people used to tell Brother Marshall, my father-in-law, he says, your children are so talented. He said, talent is 90% practice. Uh, he, he just knew how to pour water on everybody's parade. It was a good thing. Otherwise, we're just exalting what God gave us. And stubble. Leftovers. How, how many people serve God with what's left over? When we're supposed to be seeking those precious souls. I, I've actually had people tell me, I, I don't want my kids like yours all going to Bible college. I want them to live a real life. I'll tell you what, I'm not here to be mean this morning, but I've been around long enough to see what happens to the lives of those who choose their own ways. You can have it. And if God takes Sarah and her wonderful little children and sends them to Africa... Oh, I'm going to miss him, but uh, I'll tell you what, I want them to be where God wants them to be, no matter where that is. And there's only one way you get ready for that. You start the day you bring them home from the hospital. Because you have to realize they're the heritage from the Lord. They don't belong to you. They're, they're part of those building materials that God gives you. You see, let's turn to... 2 Corinthians chapter 5 here. Because God 
is going to judge. He's going to judge each one of us. And we are going to be judged according to the words of this book called the Bible. Your life is going to be judged on the things that you have done and how they fit in the pattern that has already been established. You do not have the right for your own measurements. God has already given them. You take your measurements from Him and from His Word, and you put them together. And we come to this passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter that we have. And we'll start in verse 9 of chapter 5. It says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absence, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the... What's that next word? We'll try that a little bit louder here. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. I thought that was something you got from a stupid Hollywood movie. Or a carnival ride, or a roller coaster. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now here's what Paul's saying. Paul is talking about that same judgment that's going to be tried by fire. He said there's some motivations here to prepare for that judgment. The first motivation he mentions is the terror of the Lord. How many of you have ever had someone scrutinize your work and you hoped that they didn't catch the mistakes. Has anybody ever had to do that? Have you ever had a music recital or uh, the difference between a professional and an amateur is a professional knows what? How to cover his mistakes. How to make them look like they don't appear. That's one of the reasons why we do a lot of the work ourselves at Union is because we don't want things covered up, we, we want to know what's under there. And, and you see, when it talks about the terror of the Lord here, there is nothing in that day that's going to be feigned, that's pretended, or hidden. Every thought. You know, some people are going to be brought face to face with the first time as God pops the bubble of the reality that they've created in their own mind about themselves and holds them up to the Word of God, words that they have read all their life and refuse to pay attention to, or just refuse to get ask God to give them the understanding so they could comprehend what the Bible says. There's going to be an awful lot. The Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things. The greatest deception in this world... It is not that which we complain about the most, politicians and all of these other things that are out there. The greatest deception is self-deception. Because if nobody else believes your lies, you will. 
because you want to. Here's the terror of the Lord. He is not going to be kind nor gentle on that day. He's going to be holy. And He is going to rip the veil of deceit and deception and self-deception away. And everything is going to be revealed by fire as we found in the first one. God's judgment will be true and complete. If there's anything you need to get from the Old Testament when God rained fire down and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and opened the earth and swallowed up uh, Dathan and Abiram and their crowd and sent fire out of the altar and burned up um, the sons of Korah, is a God will not leave even the most minuscule issue in your life unjudged. That's the terror of the Lord, my friend. And when you hear about this judgment of God, if it doesn't just give a little bit of fear somewhere in you, there's probably something really wrong with who you are. Could we say amen to that? Because it's going to be tried by fire. It's going to be completely and thoroughly judged. But Paul says, We are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Paul said, Listen, let's go back to that set pattern here. You can prove that what we were doing was set in the Word of God. Read the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Amen? And he said, we trust that God knows what we're doing because we're agreed and we hope that you have enough sense to understand that what we are doing is what the Bible talks about. But now I want you to skip with me down to verse 14, if you would. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge... That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, it is the terror of the Lord. But if you want to know something, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. I've met men and people over time that have been more in love with an institution than with the Word of God. I have met men who call themselves preacher who have been more faithful to their own children in disobedience to the Word of God than to the Word of God itself. If I understand the terror of the Lord, I also need to understand the love of Christ. You see, He made hell real for a reason. He made the cross real for a reason. And if I'll understand His love, it 
will make me do things that produce that gold, silver, and precious stones. It will cause my soul to abhor the wood, the hay, and the stubble. You can spend your whole life finishing wood. Oh, there are so many beautiful things made out of wood. But I'll tell you what, wood's not very pretty when it's burned. It becomes charcoal. And then when the charcoal's burned, there's nothing left but a purifying ash. That's not very pretty, is it? The only thing it's good for is sinus troubles. You see, the question is, as we live in a world who is consumed with their legacy, the question I ask you is, what is going to be your legacy? If you're here today, this sermon does not speak to you until you're saved. Till you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Once you've done that, then you have a job to build. That building has quite a few restrictions on it. And it's supposed to fit in with what is already there. And if it doesn't, You may find yourself like the man who liked Limburger cheese. He got a little spot on his mustache. How many of you have ever smelled Limburger cheese? Whew! I don't know how anybody could eat anything that smells so foul. But he had that little spot right there in his mustache and he didn't see it. And wow, it stinks in here. And so he goes outside for a breath of fresh air. Wow, it stinks out here. And so he walks down the block to try to get away from it. And he says, the whole world stinks. Well, the problem wasn't the world. Now was it? If you'll accept the play on words, maybe it was the stubble in his mustache. You see, we need to understand something. Our God is a consuming fire. The terror of the Lord that is all through the Old Testament is all through the New Testament. And if it doesn't scare the living daylights out of you, then you really have a poor understanding of who God is. But it's not the terror of the Lord that makes me do things. It's the love of Christ that constrains me. You see, because that God that exercises all that judgment loved me enough to send His Son to die on a cross for me. You see, after I'm saved, i got work to do. And that work needs to fit in where I'm a member. And where I'm a member... The work of that church needs to fit in with what God is doing. And the Bible is our only guide. And as we do that work, 
Are we seeking the gold and the silver and the precious stones? Or are we making rice pictures and polishing the wood grain to bring it out so that it's so beautiful? Or are we the worst of the worst to give God what's left over and hope He'll be satisfied with it? This this is just the picture that's painted in these passages. And if we're going to be still and know who God is, we've got to understand the terror of the Lord and the love of Christ. Amen? Because it's that power of His resurrection. That's the goal. Amen? It makes decisions for me and conforms me. We don't want mind-numb robots. We want people who are here at church because they've read their Bible and understand where they're supposed to be on Sunday morning. Because that's when our service time is. Amen? And Sunday night and Thursday night. Unless you're at North Brooklyn, then it's Wednesday night. Amen? Listen. What's the power of His resurrection doing in your life that's preparing you to stand before God on Judgment Day? That's your legacy. As your pastor, I want no person in this auditorium to be unprepared in that day. We do not want to lose one more of our young people to this wicked world in which we live. We want that life to be kept precious for the Lord. We don't want it to be the best that the world offers or the best that's already there. The best that God has done does not give God glory in our hands. got to be Him and Him alone. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning. We ask that You would allow us to take a few moments and sit still. And ask ourselves some hard questions as believers in Jesus Christ, as members of a local church. Are we seeking the gold and the silver and the precious stones? Or are we polishing things you've already made? We serving you with what's left over. Lord, we ask that you would help us to search our souls today and to worship you with a changed life through this coming week. Lord, we can't help but think this morning as we are gathered here together that there would be some that have not yet made the decision 
of salvation have not yet surrendered to you. The Lord, they would see that they would allow their souls to be touched with the terror of the Lord and the love of Christ. And they would surrender to Jesus as their Savior. They would join with us in that labor that you have called us to. We ask you to work that we may bring glory as individuals, as a church, and as part of what you want to accomplish in this world in which we live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Andrew comes and leads in the hymn of invitation, the altar's open.